as you're turning to Jonah chapter 4, I remind you, today is Pentecost. Uh, today is the day that we remember when the Holy Spirit came with power upon his church to make his people witnesses of Jesus to all nations. And if you haven't thought about it before, remember Pentecost was the reverse, the reversal of the curse of the Tower of Babel where God confused the languages of the people and they all spread out. At Pentecost, God enabled people from every language to understand gospel language. The good news about Jesus who came to tear down the dividing wall between people groups, making them one people in him. It's an appropriate day to conclude our journey through Jonah, to end our time in Jonah with a look at God's heart for outsiders. So let me pray, and then I'll ask, uh, I'll wait and tell you when, when to stand up. I'm going to do this a little differently this morning. So let me pray for us. Father, we ask that by your spirit, you would shine the light of your word into every chamber of our hearts. And then we ask that you would direct our hearts to the light of the glory of the gospel of your grace that shines in the face of Jesus. Um, do that in us today as we sit and soak in Jonah together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Divided. It's a word we've heard a lot in the past year. A recent uh, poll reports that 82% of Americans believe that our nation is divided. And of course, some will divide over whether we're really divided. Have at it. <laughs> but it, it's hard to deny, though, that it feels like we're divided. I mean, if we just consider again the past year, red state, blue state, white people, people of color, masks, no masks. And Americans are not the only ones who feel our division. Um, some outside of our nation feel it too. I was reading an opinion piece this week by a Canadian political writer, and he said this. He said, growing up in Toronto, there were lots of words that were often bandied about to describe the typical American. Words like arrogant, innovative, generous, ignorant, friendly, insular, and many more. And some, he says, unquestionably more flattering than others. But one description I never re remember being invoked was angry. He said, yes, it's hard to think of a word which is better suited to depict the average American temperament these days angry. My first reaction to that was, he's a Canadian, what does he know? Well, apparently Jonah and I have a lot in common. Anger that flows from an us versus them heart. It's as old as Jonah and Nineveh, and it's as fresh as this morning's newsfeed. But it's not just a problem in American culture. It could be 
that the anger of us versus them has seeped into the American church. Every pastor I've talked to or read lately has felt it in their churches, especially this past year. Why? Perhaps it's because it's deeply rooted into the hearts that we bring to our churches. You may say, Pastor, why, why do we have to focus on our divisions again? We're so tired of doing that. Well, the Bible does. Jonah 4 does. And so we're going there. But there's good news at the end, I promise. Jonah chapter 4 acts as a mirror to expose our us versus them hearts. Are we like Jonah? Are we people who know the heart of God for us, but who don't have the heart of God for them? If you'll stand with me, we'll find out as we read Jonah chapter 4 together. I'm going to start in chapter 3, verse 10, to remind us what God did when Jonah preached to Nineveh, and they repented. Hear the word of the Lord, the word of the God who loves you. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So sometimes God's love doesn't look like we think it should. But God is clearly loving Jonah here by gently exposing what's really going on in his heart. 
God is being gracious to Jonah, merciful to Jonah, slow to anger. And like a good counselor, God puts his finger on Jonah's emotions, and, and in this case, it was his anger, and he says, what's going on there, Jonah? Do you do well to be angry? In other words, is it right for you to be angry? Where's this anger coming from, and, and is it justified? And since that question stands out so clearly in our text in two different places, we need to ask it too. What is, what is Jonah so angry about, and is Jonah right to be angry about it? Verses 1 through 4, Jonah's angry that God is showing grace and mercy to people that Jonah thinks should be outside the circle of God's grace and mercy. He's angry that God is showing grace and mercy to people that he thinks should be outside of God's grace and mercy. And then in verses five through nine, Jonah's angry that God took away something that made Jonah exceedingly glad, a plant that saved Jonah from his discomfort. Now, let's, let's look at each of those for just a couple of minutes. Verses one through four, Jonah knew that God was gracious. He had tasted his grace. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. He tasted that grace when God rescued him from the judgment that he deserved. But Jonah didn't want God to give that grace to his enemies, to God's enemies. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, God, for I knew that you were a gracious God. I knew you were going to do this. I knew your heart was gracious, and I was afraid you might be gracious to Nineveh. I didn't want you to be gracious to them. Why would he feel this way? Now, we need to give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit. We, we don't want to pile on Jonah too much. Let's, let's explore his heart a little bit and see why he might feel this way toward the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the proven enemies of God. They were a real threat. Jonah was not wrong about them. They're evil. You wonder, did Jonah know or know of someone who had been victimized, who had been victims of their evil? I don't know. Perhaps some of the people that you or we consider our enemies really are our enemies. Maybe they really are evil. Maybe they've hurt you or somebody you know. But Jonah was also... Let's give him credit. He was concerned for God's people, Israel. These were God's chosen people. He was their prophet. He loved them. He was concerned for them. Surely God wouldn't let people who were bent on destroying his people live so that they could do it, would he? I thought he was a God of justice. Come on. God, stick up for your people. And yes, the church in America and around the world has real enemies who are bent on destroying us. There are injustices being done to God's people all over the earth. And then there's this. Perhaps Jonah was concerned for his own reputation with the people back home. So uh, you're the prophet who helped hold back God's judgment on our enemies, huh? How could you? 
How could you do that? I thought you were on our side, Jonah. I thought you were on God's side. Made me wonder, as I thought about it this week, could there be some Christians today who are concerned that if we show compassion to our enemies or a desire to hear and learn from those with whom we disagree, is there a concern from some of us that we might be get canceled and shamed by our own brothers and sisters in Christ because of our concern and compassion for our enemies. So maybe all of these things were swirling into a perfect storm for Jonah in his heart, but the bottom line is clear from the Scripture it displeased Jonah exceedingly that God saved Nineveh from his wrath for their evil. It displeased him that God saved them. And in fact, it's actually worse than that. If you notice in your Bible, most of your Bibles probably have a little note there on verse 1 with a footnote at the bottom. And the footnote says that the phrase, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, can literally be translated, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. Jonah thought that what God did by showing grace and mercy to Nineveh was exceedingly evil. Jonah wasn't angry at the Ninevites for being Ninevites so much as he was angry at God for being God. It's okay for God to show me his grace. It's okay for God to show my people his grace. We're insiders. We're on God's side. But it's not okay for God to show grace to those outsiders over there. All that good stuff that's in the heart of God is for us, not them. That was Jonah's heart. He had lost sight of where his people had come from, and he had lost sight of what the people of God were chosen to do. Way back, let's go all the way back to when Abram was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, as they called it, down there in southern Mesopotamia. Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Where did God's people come from? Abram came from a family that lived in southern Mesopotamia. Nineveh's in northern Mesopotamia. It's all on that side of the Euphrates. And they were all idol worshipers. Joshua tells us, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abram and Nahor, and they served other gods, the moon god, actually. So God's people were a people that were rescued out of idolatry from that neck of the woods. And now Jonah's struggling with God showing people who worship idols in that neck of woods his grace.
had they forgotten that they were chosen not to hoard God's blessing, but to share it with all the families of the earth. It was exceedingly evil to Jonah what God did, and he was angry. To say or think or feel that God should not give his grace to other sinners is to call God evil. It's to declare God the outsider and the rest of us the insiders. Now, that was God's first question. Do you do well to be angry? Let's go back to God the counselor and his second question about Jonah's anger in verses five to nine. Jonah goes to sit and pout somewhere east of the city in a spot where he can watch to see if perhaps God might still choose to rain hellfire and brimstone down on the city of Nineveh. And he sits and hopes that God will bring the heat on Nineveh, baby. But as he's sitting there, God uses a little object lesson to help Jonah see his heart a little more clearly. And just as God had appointed a fish to save Jonah from the discomfort of judgment in the sea, now God appoints a plant to save Jonah from his discomfort. And here again, there's a little footnote in your Bible. This is very interesting. It's actually God appointed a plant to save Jonah from his evil. You see, the, the word that's used there in the Hebrew is all throughout Jonah. Sometimes it's translated evil. Sometimes it's translated disaster, displeasure, discomfort, all the same word. God appointed a plant to save Jonah from his evil. It's a play on words. God is a masterful, masterful I, I'm not, but God's a masterful storyteller. God is giving Jonah a physical sign that points to a spiritual reality to remind Jonah how he has saved him from the evil of his rebellion and from the disaster he deserved for it. That's what this little plant is a picture of. God is saying to Jonah ever so gently, and I really don't, I don't sense any anger in God in, in the way he's dealing with Jonah here. He's very tender, very patient. But this is, this is what I think he's saying to him. Jonah, you did nothing to make this plant appear or grow. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it or feed it. And yet you loved it. This plant gave you exceeding gladness. Jonah, look at the city. You see those 120,000 men, women, boys and girls, not to mention all their cattle. Those men, women, boys and girls, I've known them from eternity, Jonah. Each one of them is made in my image. And it brought me exceeding joy to welcome them into my arms like a father welcomes a wayward son who's come home. Oh, Jonah, I had pity on you when you rebelled against me. You have tasted my gracious heart. Shouldn't you want others to taste my grace too? Jonah, don't you want to invite more undeserving people to my feast? Jonah, don't you want to share in my deep gladness in renewing broken people? 
Jonah, is it right for you to keep my grace all for yourself and for your friends? I've been reading a book called Power and Weakness about the ministry of the Apostle Paul. As it turns out, Paul was a lot like Jonah. And the author said something that made me think of Jonah immediately, and I have to read this to you. It's so well said. Listen, he says, there is much promise in adopting an identity as an outsider with God as the only insider. Being the outsider always makes me the object of God's pursuit. I become one whom God is always pursuing in passionate, redemptive love. I'm not the arbiter of who gets to have God dispensed to them. I'm not the gatekeeper guarding the way to God. I stand alongside other outsiders whom God pursues because of my inherent spiritual poverty. He says... I am always in need, and when I posture myself in this way toward God, I become the grateful and joyful recipient of God's overwhelming faithfulness, grace, and love. This outsider posture is also inviting for others who feel they are beyond God's grasp or who are shamed by self-appointed members of the God squad. It sets us alongside others when we believe and remember we are outsiders, it sets us alongside outsiders. Friends, all of us are outsiders to God. The Bible is clear. The ultimate us versus them is God versus everyone else. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the us Everyone else is them. But this is the gospel. God, the us, became them to invite them into fellowship with him. That's the good news. Jesus said that he is one greater than Jonah. Jesus is the only true Israelite who perfectly obeyed God, who who came to do what God's chosen people were supposed to do but refused to do. He came to become a light to the nations. He came to become a blessing to all the families of the earth. Jesus, the only true insider, became an outsider, hated by the very ones he made. And Jesus not only entered into the city of his enemies, he entered into the very flesh and blood of his enemies and was nailed to the cross of his enemies so that outsiders like us could be insiders with him and his father by his spirit. Friends, friends, marvel with me at the patient pursuit of God for Jonah's heart. He loved this hard-hearted prophet. He wanted his heart, and he wants yours and mine too. Is he pursuing yours? Has he asked you this morning, 
Do you have a right to be angry? Has he asked you if you would see yourself as an outsider who helps other outsiders find their way in through Jesus? How are you going to respond to him? He wants more for you. He wants more for us and them. I mentioned that Paul was like Jonah. Listen to what Jesus did in Paul's heart. This is Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1. Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul saying, I'm the poster child of sinners. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe him for believe in him for eternal life. Good news, Paul says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so, because of that, Mountain Fellowship is like one of those giant trophy cases you see in a high school somewhere. It's a trophy, cra- uh, trophy case of grace. <laughs> Look around you. Paul said that he was to become a display of the patience of God. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to others in Paul. You and I are on display as trophies of God's grace, of his perfect patience in Jesus. This is why, another reason why we gather on Sunday mornings, so that if anyone ever wondered, how could Jesus ever love someone like me, they could look around And see, that's how, because he loves someone like them. (laughs) He loves someone like the preacher. Imagine, as you look around at the people sitting here with you, worshiping with you this morning, God is taking uh, someone through his trophy display case, and he's pointing to each of them, and you know the the little plate that's attached to each trophy to to say this is what the accomplishment was. God points out the plates on each one of your heads. And he says, (laughs) there's Richard. That's my face on display. Here's Mary Ann. I'm a merciful God. There's Jeff. I'm a God of grace. Hey, look, look, there's the pastor. I am slow to anger. Look, there's Nink. I'm abounding in steadfast love. See, all of these people display my heart. 
God saved sinners like the ones at Mountain Fellowship so that he could use us as an example to say to the rest of this mountain, there's hope for you too. If he can love us, he will love you. Come, all of you who feel like outsiders, we're outsiders too. Jesus is the only way inside to the heart of God. Come with us and let's follow Jesus together into the gracious heart of his Father. Lord, we, we want to be that kind of church. We want to be your trophy case. And this table is where you display that grace so clearly, so beautifully. We come as hungry beggars for grace and feed on it here. And you fill us up and you strengthen us to go out and be beggars who tell other beggars where we've found bread. Would you make us people who will invite others to the feast so that together we can all share in your deep gladness in renewing broken people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.